Hey, assalamu alaikum, guys. Just want to let you know about a charity project I'm involved in with my MSA. All funds will be going to various projects under Islamic Relief, helping orphans and needy children all over the world. You can help this cause by donating to our launch good page at tinyurl.com slash liucwlg2020. You can also find the link in the description below. May Allah reward you and accept from us all. If we raise 15k by this Sunday night, I will personally shave my head. And we are live, alhamdulillah. Assalamu alaikum, Aman, how are you? Wa alaikum assalam, rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I am doing well, how's it going? Alhamdulillah, we're doing amazing. Um, so as you all know, my name is Shaquille. I'm the host for this podcast. Today we have the amazing Amal Kasir. Is that how you pronounce it? Kasir? Kasir? Kasir, yeah, you got Kasir, it. gotcha. Amal Kasir, um, renowned worldwide spoken word poet. Um, and beside me, we have our guest host for today, the sort of amazing Rashul Islam. Yeah, I, I can agree to that statement as well. <laughs> so um, I've known Amal for a few months now, I guess. Um, I, I submitted a piece to uh, a poetry competition she was doing. Um, Alhamdulillah, I made it to like top whatever. And uh, I, I had this I had this interview <laughs> with her. And it was really cool just, just getting to know you as as kind of this older figure in, in like the poetry world um really getting to see how, how your brain works um and what's interesting was that that was like an interview for me but now like the tables are kind of reversed so <laughs> so now it's like i'm in this seat asking you the questions well it sounds good to me and just so everybody knows he did win third place out of 108 <laughs> other people so for for those of uh, the listeners that may not know who you are and uh, exactly what you do, could you just give a brief intro um, into your backstory, um, where you grew up, and uh, yeah, just a little bit about yourself? Definitely. Uh, my name is Amal Qasir. My name means hope in Arabic. I am what's called an international spoken poet, but... Um, more so, I'm a storyteller and a speaker. Um, I've, alhamdulillah, been able to travel all over the world, uh, I think 13 countries, um, to share this poetry and the story of my family. Um, my father's from Syria, and my mother converted to Islam when she was 15 years old. She's uh, German descent. So I really come from like two unique immigration paths, the immigration story of my father, and then the addition of the war, and you know, the introduction of these global conversations like the refugee crisis. And then you have my mother who immigrated to Islam. And, you know, I, I think that so much of my background comes from the intersection between these two cultures and these identities and this concept of travel. Um, I grew up in Denver, Colorado by the mountains. And I gained any public speaking skills that I do have from waitressing at my father's restaurant. I was in my mother's womb while she waitressed at my father's restaurant. So it's legit in the blood. And uh, you want to become a good public speaker, be a waiter <laughs> where you like tell a profound story and then like drop 20 cups on a customer. So yeah, that's, that's really where I come from. A little bit of immigration, a little bit of uh, mountains. And, that's and a awesome. Lot of that's awesome. Um, and you're currently living in Texas, right? I'm in Houston, Texas, yeah. 
how'd you uh how, how did that move go like what was the reasoning behind moving to texas from colorado um so i performed at isna and it was here in houston so was the first time and that night backstage was a volunteer who is now my husband and i ended oh wow backstage gave me his instagram and you know <laughs> you, you never know where you're gonna end up the only thing that could take me away from the mountains alhamdulillah was my husband that's uh, he's from pakistan so our, my kids are gonna have way more poetry than me that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of mixed blood going on to the next generation. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, and yeah you're completely right. Yeah, Pakistanis are, are known for their poetry. Um, yeah. Or their poetry especially is, is just mind-blowing sometimes. And it's um, so rich and alive in America. I think Pakistani culture is kind of the dominant culture in my life right now. <laughs> Not so much Arab, it's just... <laughs> so, I'm like so learning. it's just biryani... Like, had the diet changed or what's going on? <laughs> the diet's definitely changed. Believe Arabize, you know, throw a little bit of zatar up on that uh, saga, you know. I'm awesome. cooking methi now. I didn't even know methi was like, I didn't know it existed. And now, <laughs> so, yeah, subhanAllah, man. All kinds of new recipes and all kinds of new culture just slamming into each other, you know. Right, that's amazing, that's amazing. Um, so you said that your mother was originally German, correct? And your yeah, she's German descent in in Iowa. So there's gotcha. a huge old uh, yeah. So I think she's a second or third generation American. Gotcha. And my father's a first. Mm. And your father's um, straight from Syria, right? He was an immigrant that came here. Yeah, in the early '80s, he was taken to the University of Nebraska. Wow, mashallah. Place to be when you imagine America. Yeah. Gotcha. So how is that upbringing <laughs> like? Because the way um, you said that your your mother grew up in um in in some I forget the state name, but it was it was one of the middle states, right? Um, and yeah. that's kind of like I guess you wouldn't assume that that's the most diverse <laughs> area around, right? So how is that upbringing like um, for you being like from someone that that you know is pretty much Americanized, but then yeah. you have this other side of you were you know straight from Syria, um, Muslim, um, and completely cultural. Yeah, um, the experience gives you so much empathy, to be honest. And uh, my mother did not have an easy upbringing. So she wasn't just in the Midwest where the weather and the economy are harsh, mm. but um, she was in an environment where she, she did not have the same structure that you know, you'll see a lot in Muslim families, absent father figures in these communities, lots of gambling, lots of uh, alcoholism, lots of addictions in these environments. So being poor and rural in America and growing up um, without a father figure in the home, this, this was transformative to be able to understand kind of what the experience of the typical American is, you know? And this has given us the ability to talk. I mean, when we waiter, we literally talk about you know, cherry pie with some pistachios on top. We can connect across the American culture, even though we were not raised American, right? I've got my Uncle Bruce and Uncle Jim, but then I have Amu Khalid and, and Amu Muhammad, right? So how do you speak to everyone with the family? Um, so 
some of the challenges that you do see with these mixed households tends to be, um, you know, obviously, like you said, my father is a cultural Syrian. And having these two versions of culture in one home, it was a huge learning curve. Baba's learning to become an American, Mama's learning to become a Muslim. How do you raise the kids? And so um, there, was, there was a lot of overlap. And I think that really we are responsible for creating a culture now as the children of converts. You know, you kind of have to figure out what is relevant in Islam. What is Islam in Syria does not look the same as Islam in the United States. The context is different. The emphasis is different. You know what I mean? They're not dealing with, uh, we're, we're dealing with much more liberal issues than they are. So our parents didn't even know how to address this. So I think that answers oh. your question. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sorry, you just froze for a second, but it's, it's all good now. Um, so, of course, um, I guess living as a Syrian-American, um, maybe in the early 2000s, was a bit different from how it is now. Uh, were, were there, was there like the same kind of, um, I guess, uh, xenophobia or, or Islamophobia, if, if you want to call it that, um, against people from that region as it was when you were growing up? Uh, my childhood was 9-11. Um, in, the, um, in the academic literature, we are called the 9-11 generation because the psychology of the Muslim was right. completely shaped by this. So we were kind of at that initial, I was six years old when it happened. I was in first grade in a private Islamic school, right? And we had to be evacuated because our private Islamic school was, uh, they received two bomb threats on the morning of September 11th. And Colorado is not like um, Houston. It's not yeah. like New York. It's not like Los Angeles. It's, Colorado was a small community um, compared to like back then compared to now. And, you know, we got rocks thrown through our, our restaurant window, FBI raiding our messages, knocking down the bookshelves. Um, we kind of grew up when we were just entering this era of uh, surveillance when Bush was president and all of this. And, um, it's different now because we are we are in it. Linda Sarsour is on Fox News every other night, basically, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe flashing her picture up. Yeah, you yeah. know who Muslims are. You tell you tell our people back in 2001 through September 11th that one day Donald Trump's going to be president. And you guys are going to be praying in an airport. They would have thought you were joking. They're like praying in the airport, and then thousands of Muslims showed up. So. Mm -hmm. Progressively, as the experience of being an American Muslim is changing, number one, our conversations are changing. Back then, we were talking about like, like we, we were talking about how to be Muslim in America. Now we're talking about how to deal with homosexuality and how to deal with this and how to deal with that. You know what I mean? Our, our social issues have changed. And I think our establishment of a community is so much stronger now. And um, yeah, these are the major differences. Yeah, I know, definitely. And coming from, like, growing up in New York, um, I don't know if I would be considered, like, in the 9-11 generation or, or however it's called, because, I, I, of course, I'm a few years younger than you, but also just, like, I didn't really face that until later on in my life. Um, like, when I was in elementary school, uh, then again, I guess the, the demographic of where I grew up that could have had a, 
hard to play it in but it wasn't really brought up like at all like whatsoever um but that might just be because of how diverse New York is and then I remember like when I got into middle school it was like a predominantly Caucasian middle school and <laughs> everyone's favorite joke was like you know Allah Akbar right like because you would just see the memes of like the plane hitting the tower which is not funny whatsoever but then like when the explosion happened it's just like Allah Akbar and it's just like this huge thing and I, I just was baffled that this was like this was like a joke this was like a, a meme to them um so it was like it was like definitely weird uh like because when I was younger I guess closer to the tragedy of it I didn't really experience much of it and it's it was it was definitely it was it was weird like because as I got older that's when I finally like understood more of the reality of like how much 9-11 really affected the landscape of Muslim culture in America and it it is what determines the landscape now. It is why Trump was able to even propose the idea of banning people from only yeah. Muslims. 9-11, mm -hmm. the Patriot Act that Bush created, these things paved the way. And it's, uh, it's crazy because there's so much happening now that I feel like the youth of today, like the TikTokers and everything, they're getting so much information thrown at them that it's hard to know where we're coming from because of how much is in front of us, you know? No, definitely. I'd say, um, like, you know how every every country, like, you know, you'll see, like, Muslim culture evolve in each country in a different way, right? And altogether, like, they, they still identify as Muslims, right? So I feel, um, like, would you say that this is, like, kind of the, the origin of, like, American Islam, or would you say it existed way before then? Or, like, you know, because it, it seems like it's forming into something, right? Like, I can't really say what, but, like, what are your thoughts on something like that? So, the, the uh, connection really cut. Can you say your question again? I'm oh, uh, I'm hoping I remember what I just said. But, <laughs> um, so, you know, every country, right, they kind of have, like, they uh, every Muslim country, my bad, they all kind of have, like, a yeah. uh, Islam, like, it's like a flavor of Islam, but it's all, like, you know, inshallah, it's all upon deen and goodness, right? Now, in America, right, would you say, like, the American, American Islam is developing as a, as a cultural, like, um, byproduct? Or would you say that it's just, like, yeah. there's just so much information that's, like, we still don't know how to define ourselves? Like, the, you know, like, for example, um, other parts of the world won't be eating halal burgers, but in New York, Every single halal spot, man, if they, you know, they, yeah. there has to be a halal burger. If there yeah. isn't, then you don't even know if it's good, right? You won't even yeah. try it out. So like, right. I'd say that's our, like, like would you say um, uh, American Islam is developing as a, as like a codified, I would say codified, but like, yeah. like a form, like a form yeah. instead of like just throwing out information everywhere, right? That's an amazing question. And it's, it's an incredible thing to reflect on because we, one thing that's unique about America compared to Muslim countries is the fact that we have a disconnect of generations. We do not have, aside from the black community, mm -hmm. but think about it, coming to the United States and having to like, even, even consider it the same Islam has already been a struggle. So I think, I think in the United States, because there is this major gap influenced by American television and consumer culture, 
that makes it so that the elders and the youth are disconnected. I think this gives us an Islam that is a unique phenomenon. And I also think this version of Islam is starting to hit other countries too. Islam yeah. is rooted very heavily in the, the transgenerational tradition. Ali radiallahu anhu was a young, young boy when he grew up with Rasulullah. You know, all everybody was a variety of ages, but we're dealing in an era where like the youth are with the youth, the elders are with the elders, people are are all building walls or accusing each other or protesting each other, and no one actually sitting at the same table. Yeah. This is yeah. what I see in our Islam. That's why we have such a like liberal, liberal taste of it, you know, where things are completely like it's an Americanized Islam. You know, it doesn't come from necessarily the, the roots. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and I, I've been listening to more of like your older spoken word pieces, uh, definitely from like 2012, 2013. Uh, and I've noticed that it's, <laughs> um, it's, it's a bit more intense than what I expected. <laughs> like you're, you're definitely, you're definitely um, a bubbly kind of person talking to you. <laughs> um, and but mashallah, when I was when I was listening to this, just so much emotion, so much power in every single thing we're saying. It, it gave me goosebumps. It, it literally gave me chills. Um, and so, what what was that for you? Kind of an outlet to to really express all of this kind of confusion about identity and, and confusion about um, you know what your place was in in America in, in the American landscape. And of course, there was the political side to it as well with, with, you know, beautiful Syria being bombed on a regular basis at that time. Yeah, um, it's, it's an interesting experience. I think, here, can you s repeat your question? For gotcha. Me so, yeah, so, summarize your question. Yeah, so was, was your spoken word poetry really just um, yeah. your way of releasing all this built-up tension um, that you faced as like the post 9-11 generation, but also as a Syrian Muslim that was seeing your country being bombed by the country that you live in? My, my mentality, um, so I began writing before, uh, before the war in Syria, and I was actually okay. writing about Palestine initially, right? So right. The, the idea of like, speaking truth to power, I think was the, was the inherent motivation. Um, I wanna say my hijab story. As you were asking that question, I, I immediately thought of, of the hijab and who I am as a Muslim. Yeah, and I think I wanna establish that first because when we reflect, we have so many different hats of our identity. I'm a Syrian, I'm an American, I'm a poet, I'm a female. But the number one identity I possess in this country is my Islam and it is because of my hijab. No matter what, this is the forefront, this is the flag, this is the representation. And my choice to wear hijab, um, it wasn't spiritually motivated so much as it was um, politically. The spirituality of it came later, but the purpose of it initially, I was 11 years old uh, in a private Islamic school. So on Friday, we had to wear our hijabs because of Jum'ah, right? But we stopped at the airport to drop my brother off. And I walked inside the airport with my hijab on. 
9-11 had happened five years ago. Um, I'd lived in Syria. We even left the country and came back. And I felt like representing Islam in a country where they'll call my white American mother, you know, a terrorist. Representing Islam was so powerful and, and almost like it was defiant. Islam does not, we, we, we respect our wage workers. We respect the poor. We put these people at the forefront. So I think the, the poetry came from more so a pride in the identity, not so much confusion in trying to figure out who I was. I knew who I was and it was a Muslim. I'm 25 now and super confused about who I am now, <laughs> way more than when I was younger. Yeah, I, I, I don't even wonder in but <laughs> I think being a Muslim in America is a hat that like we get to wear with certainty and, and to have that certainty, alhamdulillah, for some, we're struggling right now, you know, um, but I think, I think that there's, there's empowerment that this faith can give us. And as far as the poetry goes to connect that into it, the, the spoken word was almost the tool that I used in order, one, to show non-Muslims that, like, we will be Muslim. You know what I mean? We, we will not yeah. stop being Muslim yeah. for you. And not just that, but we will give you good performance and good art. Yeah. And we will show you our stories and you will enjoy them, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, yeah, so it's very, this, I wanted to be an artist, not a poet. But naturally, uh, this is, I think, my calling. Um, and so... I, until recently, I didn't really invest in the craft so much, but it was more speech giving and speaking to the oppressors and the tyrants and, you know, the corporate world and the corrupt world. Gotcha. Oh, it's crazy. The scene is changing, man. It's, there's so many Muslims on the scene. Yeah, there's, so, it's definitely saturated where I feel like it's yeah. a very easy um, art form to get into. And then it's yeah. super hard to master. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, so how did you first get into actually doing slam poetry? Because you were definitely on the competitive scene for a while. Yeah. Um, I was actually on the competitive scene for a year, like like one oh, whole year. Only, only then, a year? Yeah, that was all. Huh. That was it. It was one year, 2012. Um, I was writing. I've been writing ever since and have been able to perform my poetry in a variety of places. Gotcha, but, gotcha. Um, yeah, subhanAllah, because of the war in Syria, the year I did participate, the video happened to go viral. And um, it was one of the first like major pieces of poetry that, that came out. I did not expect to go viral. I did not know that poetry could lead here. Um, but it's just kind of the way the internet works. And then my dad like emailed the video to a lot of people. Like my 300 people, my dad emailed that video too. <laughs> he had that many people on his email list i don't know who these people <laughs> even know. were he probably just took a shot <laughs> that's amazing but, yeah but um I it's, started it's like with those uh it's like those scam companies that somehow get your email <laughs> <laughs> where you come from like, how do they get it <laughs> Man, my dad's like do. buying people's emails on <laughs> that's amazing yeah but uh, it just it just started, there was a poetry slam at my school. Um, and before that, I had written a piece. But I didn't know what spoken word poetry was. It was just this speech called Leaders of the World that one day I wanted to read in front of the UN. 
So I memorized it. It's a terrible piece, definitely not worthy of the UN. But I would memorize it and I had it memorized every single day. And then like two years later, uh, a slam poetry thing came through my high school. And I lost the first year. And then the year after, um, I made it, I think I was third place. I made it on the team. And then we went to uh, international competition. So people who want to get started have to compete on a team. That's really the best way to do it. That's where you grow. That's where you have coaches. I've had coaches throughout all of my time, you know, um, a coach for the TED Talk, a coach for the slam poetry thing who taught us how to perform. It's, no one's natural. This is a craft and we all have to learn it, you know. Speaking of slam, um, I, I was like, I don't know. When I just think of slam, I think of like very aggressive, right? Very yeah. like un unapologetic, especially uh, we've, on the car ride here, we're actually listening to the, to the one on like how like the the image of a woman right how they're expected in america to reveal themselves and you know it's just like i was like i had to turn down the gps navigation i was just like <laughs> i don't i don't need it like i was just like because it was just like yeah, yeah, yeah. that voice yeah. just gets in the middle of like the the it's just aggression the strength right yeah. Yeah. and with aggression and strength I, I was thinking about like as as muslims in let's say you know, like in this political climate, a lot of people, they kind of pander. I, I, don't, I don't like using that word, but a lot of Muslims yeah, yeah. will pander. They're like, oh, look, see, uh, like these um, non-Muslims, they approve of us because we're such, yeah. you know, we're people of the community and we do this and we do that. And it's, you know, some things are borderline like, like as Muslims, should we be proud that we're doing such things? Like, yeah. why do we hide things such as you know praying salah right yeah. we don't talk about that yeah. we don't talk about like um like upholding tawhid right like so do you th like as especially as a political activist do you think we should be more like like softer on like the the rest of america or should we be like like yes we pray yes we do this yes we do that like you know what i'm saying like because yeah all we do is a lot of Muslims tend to just go the political route and they try to be like, oh, we're just like you, but you know, like, yeah. right? Like yeah, we're, sure. the, the truth is maybe we're not like everyone, right? That's what makes us choose Islam rather than yeah. someone else. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know what, what's your take on like the future of Islam in America uh, when it comes to something like yeah. that, right? What should we do? So we're in an interesting place because everyone wants to define Islam for themselves and no one wants anyone to judge anyone or have any standards about how anything is ran at all. And it's ridiculous. Everyone wants everyone to be okay with everything. This is not Islam. It is not Islam. And look, I'm not going to say act like I don't, I, I, we, we all are committing our sins mm -hmm. and okay. We commit our sins, but coming outward and publicly being like, no, this is not a sin. Yeah. That's where I draw the line. That is where, as Muslims, we need to be very, very skeptical of trying to switch things around because at the end of the day, this, this is a way of life. And when you choose to identify yourself with the term Muslim, you're choosing to subscribe to something bigger than you. Yeah. 
but it feels like everyone's trying to grab at it and take their own piece and put it in their pocket and wear it like an icon on their t-shirt and put it in their Instagram bio, right? It's everyone's trying to brand their own Islam. And I, I'm, I'm speaking strict, like, like may Allah make us as, as good as people see us. May Allah make us better than, than anything. And I, I don't want to speak from a spiritual standpoint. I want to speak from the standpoint of tradition and the importance of discipline and the preservation of a history. We're, changed, we're trying to change Islam in America right now, I think. And it's not we, it's influencers. Yeah, right. It's influence. It's people with lots of view- followers on Instagram. Followers. Look at this word. Rasulullah, he had followers. You know, so-and-so with their at symbol on Instagram. The language that we are even using is that of a religion. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and we also, I think we fall into the trap that if someone is followed a lot, then they must be wrong too. Why is teacher said, do not let this deal of the followers um, cloud the goodness of the teacher, right? I think think we have to separate from pop culture and we need to somehow connect to tradition. And uh, Islam is built in tradition. Shahada, ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, ashhadu anna Muhammad rasulullah. Salah, five times, these designated times. Siyam, when you, like, it is very disciplinary, just like yoga. You know, (laughs) just like like being a vegetarian or whatever. America loves those. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And we don't need to like make our stuff hippie. We don't need to make it adaptable or palatable. We ask Allah for forgiveness and we educate ourselves. The hierarchy of Islam exists on scholarship. It comes from knowledge. It does not come from race. It does not come from ethnicity. It does not come from gender. It comes from knowledge. And... I think I think our our sociological attempts at reinterpreting every single thing and changing the religion is very dangerous. Um, so yeah. <laughs> um, so kind of going back to the poetry, um, and I'm only asking this because you asked me this before, and I I just found it super interesting and very insightful into how a person views themselves. So you asked me. Um, do you view yourself as a writer when we talked previously? Um, And I kind of gave like a half-half answer. I wasn't really sure. Um, But I'm sure it it seems like you definitely see yourself as a writer. Like, mashallah, definitely. At what point did you find yourself with the conviction that I'm a writer now, I'm an artist, as you put it. Um, This is something that I am. This is something that's a part of me. It wasn't until I was 20. And at that oh, wow. point, I had been traveling and speaking and performing for four years. But uh, I think when I was 20 years old, what happened? Um, do I keep going? Sorry, yeah, you guys told me this before. Let's <laughs> keep going. Yeah. When I was 20 years old, um, I reached this point in my life that I, I think every Muslim American and really every Muslim in the world, possibly, where we reach and, you know, kind of ask ourselves like what is the state of my faith what is the state of my heart what what am I doing with my life and when I hit 20 I was asking myself some really deep questions and I I was I did not know who I was you know what I mean and I it's interesting I was about to graduate college I was about to take the LSAT go to law school so this whole thing laid out 
And I just, I fell into writing as somebody who was seeking answers, not as someone trying to create anything. And I think that's the most important distinction. We are not creators. Allah subhanahu wa is the creators. And we have the capacity to write and explore and discover things inside of our soul that if we do not write, we will not come across them. Um, so I became a writer when I needed writing, when my mental health and my survival and what I was going to do next depended on it. Um, and I think if you're not a writer, then you know you make thicket. And if you're not making thicket, then you know, there's different versions of this in every art field. And um, yeah, I think we should find that which makes us reflect and that which connects us back to Allah's Taala. This was it for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I know coming from my experience, uh, I still don't know if I want to put myself as LA because I don't think I've deserved it yet because I've just been so inconsistent with it. <laughs> um, and you're right that every single time that I seemingly pick up the pen or, you know, open that Google Doc, it's, it's like when I'm confused about who I am and like what exactly I'm trying to do and, and I'm like trying to figure it out through writing. Um, and, and really just reflect on like my role in the world and, and you know, my connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and my connection with humanity in general. And it's, it's really those times when I feel like a writer. I, I, I know in my soul that I'm a writer, that this is like how I want to express myself. And then like a week passes and then it just, it just goes away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's like with Islam, you know, Shahada is so yeah. easy. You just gotta say it. What's yeah. the next one? Salah, bro. You you gotta stay on top of that five yeah. times a day. Yeah, yeah. It's like that with any discipline. You declare yourself one, and now you must practice. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. You wrote an excellent piece, so <laughs> I say you know five minutes a day, like they say. Inshallah, <laughs> <laughs> I can I can actually, you know that as, as practice and, and you're completely right with like you can't just say something and then not act on it right you can't be muslim and then not do anything that a, a muslim would do right that that doesn't make sense what is the point of you putting on that label then um if nothing about you is going to change what what but we should always motivate ourselves to try right, right, of, course, of course of course definitely definitely i was trying to like put some cynical vibe to it <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, some people are actually saying that that's also yeah, that's horrible. It's that's some people. Yeah, that, that's also horrible. We should not be doing that. Yeah. Um, so, as of course, like you said, when you when you turn twenty, that's kind of like when you put on this self proclamation as I'm a writer now, um, and. I'm, ass I'm assuming that that was also the point where you made the decision to make this your career field? I think it was, so I had actually been doing this since I was 16 years old. Right, right. Um, yeah, so at this point, it was, it was kind of more so like the decision, because look, as soon as coronavirus came, my, co my, my career was like on pause. There's no traveling, right, there's, no that, that was for everyone. there's no and I, I think like I, I knew that this isn't this isn't gonna last forever. You know, one day you, I want to settle down. One day I'm gonna have kids. The work is 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 something else. But I think it was more so like 
what am I going to die for? And what is the legacy I'm going to leave behind? You know, and poetry, it's, it can be a legacy, but sustainability and community growth, I think is so, that's the key and sustainability and, and, and habit building. I think that's really what rooted it. Our youth is one of the most valuable things we have ever been given. Right. Because one day we will not be young anymore. I ain't even kidding you, bro. I turned 25 and I got like knee problems the next day. I'm like limping like a grandma. No, I, I can, can feel, feel like aches in my, my, my left neck. knee's been on fire. Same. <laughs> you just hear crack. I don't know, man. It's something about the knees. I don't get it. Why is that the first thing? The go? moment you go to Sujood, bro, you just see that. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, ah. Oh, man. And subhanAllah, it's like our health will deteriorate. And the one piece of advice that I give to youth is establish good habits while you're young. Right. Establish good habits while you're young. I am 25 right now, as I've mentioned, and I am trying to establish reading. I'm trying to establish writing and, and, and you know, Quran and things like this. I'm trying to establish these because our time is limited. Wallahi, my father all the time is like, I remember my youth as if it was yesterday. And we need, I wish I had started sooner because um, when you are young, you have time and you can get so much more done. Right. So writing at 20 was how I became a writer and disciplined writer and a practice writer. But I urge you guys, by 20, man, know who you want to be. You We're both 20. <laughs> You're turning 20. He's turning 21 next week. Oh, it's too late, man. It's just downhill <laughs> it's too late, <laughs> Just do I'll your best. <laughs> I'll mentally turn 18 again. <laughs> yeah. Do it. No, I, yeah. I, I turned 20 last month and I, yeah. I just felt so old. Like Time's just, running out, man. There's no teen at the end of that age now. It's like two yeah, decades. It's, it's two decades. That's crazy. Awful. Yeah, I mean, crazy. they went from a Galaxy Note 10 to a Galaxy Note 20. Just like, <laughs> I was like, what happened to the other 10 here? This is how fast time is going, brother. Right, right. It's just, Technology is changing and fighting and wars. There's a new war every day. It's, what do we keep up with? We keep up with our habits. Right. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us ownership o- over our bodies. You know, and, and that's that's profound because there's nothing we can fix right now. Right. You can pray five times a day. You can socially distance. You can do whatever you can. But I definitely urge us to reflect on our time as a, as a culture and a community. Because you can post a thousand activist Instagram stories, but that doesn't make a difference in the world, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, so you you said that community building and, st- and building that stability is, is really what you want to do with your life and leaving a legacy um, and, and all these things that, you know, mashallah will carry on after you after you depart, right? Um, that's something that I feel like we should all kind of take on like whatever we do i'm sure there's a way to make it everlasting where after we die that's going to be something that's you know right something that's continuously giving us good deeds even after we die right um and i i know that uh this is like a little tidbit on like the bios that i was reading up online you you actually created your own major surrounding this whole community building thing right um mm-hmm. And could you just speak a little bit on that and like what, like what influenced you to take up that as like a direction you wanted to go in? 
Yeah. Uh, so my major, I named it, it's called Community Programming and Social Psychology. Um, and what influenced me was a class called Family Life Education Classroom Programming. Where very, very simply, you are able to create goals and objectives and design easy curriculums. So amazing. I made a life curriculum for myself just this last week because I need to figure out what I'm doing next. <laughs> so they, this, this course, this one class I took, made me realize that I just gained all the skills to design my own major. And uh, so I drafted up something, goals, objectives. I knew I wanted to work with refugees. I knew that I wanted some sociology, but I didn't really care about you know, some of the like weird classes that I don't really need to know about some of those right, gender study right, stuff. Right. It's, it's not gonna serve me and the population I wanna work with. People of war, Muslims, impoverished people, so on and so forth. And uh, alhamdulillah, honestly, I did not waste one class in college. Everything I learned served me. And uh, it's, you have to have a clear vision for something like this. All I knew was that their psychology major, their writing majors, I was not going to get a whole pie. I was going to get like some random skills that some, honestly, some, some white guy probably drafted up this whole curriculum. He doesn't know Muslims. He doesn't know yeah. us. He doesn't know that changing the world is a part of our fitra. It's a part of our way of life. Mm -hmm. um, so if you, if you ever want to see a copy of it, I'll send it to you. And I, no, I really maybe. urge you. Great. <laughs> yeah. Cause like you get it, it, it. I got it. Technically I would have been a psychology major. Right, right, right. What do you do with a psychology major if you don't want to be a psychologist? Right, Just about right. Freud, Freudian things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, psychology is definitely interesting. That's very fun. Yeah. But, yeah. And I, fun I, facts. I, I, <laughs> exactly. And uh, it's good for self-awareness and stuff, but if you can contextualize this and help communities, um, and you don't really need a degree to do it either, honestly. The skills are very, very simple, but um, it gives you research ability and just the ability to draft templates and, and different things like that, you know? So I've helped design like uh, youth uh, empowerment writing groups for refugees. We helped a business, a victim of gentrification, um, kind of climb out of that. We've helped uh, design websites and stuff like that. Yeah, it's super, super beneficial. So, so it's, if it's you want to copy, let me know. It's both locally, nationally, and internationally? Yeah, work it's all that. about the opportunities you end up trying to reach, but yeah, gotcha. it has the capacity to apply anywhere. And um, for anybody who's interested in this way of life, it's just called programming and not computer programming. That's different. That's his major. None of that, those HTML, I don't know, what JavaScript. But yeah, I'm learning anyway. too. Four years in. <laughs> College is and, a scam. Uh, yeah. It might hook you up, you know, that's where the money's at. This, it's, um, I think curriculum design was what I ultimately wanted to do. And I'll have to get a master's or a PhD in that. Inshallah, one of these days. Inshallah, inshallah. Go back to school, but gotcha. so yeah, most universities offer individually structured majors. Gotcha. You, you mentioned that you created something called a life curriculum. What exactly <laughs> is that? And and like what exactly is part of it because <laughs> i probably need a life curriculum i'm not sure yeah, right though <laughs> well i've been thinking so i technically i do not have a nine to five job i am a poet and what my job used to be what would pay my bills was traveling and speaking at places. 
policies. But now because of coronavirus, these, these, these things have changed. And now I have more time and um, basically I'm trying to figure out what do I do with this time? Because I don't have a boss. I mean, I have a husband. <laughs> I'm about to go rage. <laughs> the association is <laughs> very scary. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know he probably feels the opposite way <laughs> he's gonna love that um but i don't have a boss i don't have anyone telling me what to do i don't have a school schedule or a curriculum sometimes i'm like and i i really don't know what i'm supposed to be doing so this life curriculum it's it's quarterly every quarter i'll decide these are the projects i want to work on these are the skills i want to master and these are the things i want to learn about and i'll uh I, I have like books, I'll read section one, the first week, section two. I like go down to assignments and due dates and things wow. like that. So right now I'm working on my writing portfolio and trying to get into some like freelance work. So well, that's, that's really cool, Marshall. And this is basically for the next like few years or is, three is months. it like three months? There's gotcha. long-term vision and then short-term vision. Gotcha. I write down my goals here. I have a, a little notebook but I will write down my top 10 goals every day. And 10 goals is a lot sometimes. We're like, I don't know what to put on here. Just paint a nice picture or something. But I write 10 goals every day so that I know what I actually want to do. Um, so yeah, and then that influenced what, how I designed the three months. And I think clarity is important and plans obviously never work out. Yeah, yeah. But knowing what your motivations are and kind of what your North Star is, um, at least you'll learn what you need to learn. And knowledge is the biggest part of the curriculum. We as Muslims, we as Americans, we as, as minorities, we have to stay informed or else we're disconnected completely from relevant issues affecting our own life. Right. Yeah. I think uh, with us all being in our 20s, I guess, right, you can all relate to the what am I doing? Like, yeah. like it's like a, it's like a purgatory of just like you know one. You just live day by day, right? And you feel bad about not having this plan, and like, like how far does someone plan ahead, right? Um, I don't. I still wouldn't know the answer. I I tell myself like, yeah, I'm gonna be a software engineer. I've not yeah. gotten an internship yet. Like you know, I'm still looking. Inshallah, yeah. it works out. It, yeah. uh, and then after that, you know, full time. Inshallah, it's once again, right? right right so like how far does should someone look ahead right especially like uh you when you decide to be a writer right like you know when you look ahead you didn't expect you didn't expect to be like not being able to travel at this point in time right so do you do you make things like um was it tentative right yeah yeah do you make your schedules like or like what yes. you want, your goals, you want it, do you want it to be tentative or do you like, like I have to do this by this time, right? Like how do you go about that when you have a curriculum? Like where's the balance? That's a great question. Um, so as far as how far ahead, think of your biggest, um, your biggest goal. So I'm gonna use my little brother in his example here. My little brother Usama wants to get into med school. He needs mashallah. internships, mashallah, may Allah accept his, his work and effort. And so he needs to take the MCAT, but he needs to study for it first. He needs to sign up for internships. He needs to make his resume with that. He needs to write cover letters and he needs to apply. So of these, the 
biggest um, task on his list is going to be the MCAT because he can't do anything without that. Yeah. So his MCAT, let's say it's going to be in one year from now. So now you have 12 months. The first three months, you can get an internship. You can start studying maybe one hour a day or one hour a week even for the MCAT. Second month, you're going to do three hours a week for your studying MCAT. You are going to start a second internship and have your resume finished. Your third section, you know, um, study for the MCAT at eight hours a day and do nothing else. And then your fourth one is take the MCAT, start your med school application or something, right? So you want to look at what your most important goal is. If right. your most important goal is graduating, yeah. then you have three years or four years or whatever. Um, my specific curriculum right now is three months. I have a goal to start a business, a publishing company, inshallah. I need to, I need to make connections first. I need to have a portfolio. I need to learn the business. I need book first. So it's, uh, you kind of take what your major goal is and then build backwards from that, right? I'll teach, I will teach a class on this. I think that would be so much fun. I hope this is amazing. Take a big goal and then break it yeah, down. Yeah. Yeah. Backwards. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, and like, I, I think it was like, I, I remember the other day I was just reflecting on like where I see myself in the next few years. And there's definitely, I, I know the big stuff that I need to take in order to fulfill certain goals of mine, but then like all the little goals I'm, I'm still kind of like scatterbrained about. And then I kind of just realized, like, what do I do after 30? <laughs> like, because yeah. I just realized, like, all my plans kind of end at 30. Like, what, what happens after that? You get married, and then, trust <laughs> me, she'll make the plans for you. That's <laughs> kind of out. <laughs> the reality is. But, subhanAllah, I mean, dude, at the end of the day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes the lives of right. people who are right. 20 years old. Right. We, plans are not accurate, but directions are good. Right. We don't need a plan. We need a direction. Right. We need to know how to get there. We all know that California is west. So how do we get west? How right. do we get on that highway that's going to take right. us in that direction? Um, right. I don't make dua to ask Allah to help you, to give you clarity. There's a dua that I have on the back of my binder that's, um, Oh Allah, I take refuge in you from anxiety and sorrow, weakness and miserliness cowardice the burden of debts and from being overpowered by men and i think american society has built us to i don't want to call us lazy but we yeah. are a tired culture yeah, yeah yeah we're an exhausted culture and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us resources and jobs to try to work on that and, um, right. yeah you'll fail and exercise and eat well that's seriously like such an important key it's tell my brother, are you eating your cucumbers every day? Like, <laughs> eat your cucumbers, and Allah will make everything fall in place. Inshallah, inshallah. Yeah, inshallah. Um, so, of course, I don't want to take too much of your time further, but yeah. just, just one last bit I definitely do want to ask about because it's something that um, I was kind of involved in high school, uh, but you've had a fair amount of TED Talks under your belt, mashallah. Uh, oh, I believe three or four, right? Wasn't there, wasn't there a third one? There was two? Okay. I but, have uh, that other types of TED Talks. Okay, gotcha, not. gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so those two racked up quite a few, quite a bunch of views. I, I remember the 
the one about the Muslim one airplane that one got about 4.5 million last time I checked and then the other one got definitely over a hundred thousand and um I say that I was kind of involved in it but it was like on a much more miniature scale because I was kind of like one of the organizers for uh the TED event at our high school um and we we got a few speakers that kind of like came out of state and then um one 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 of our biggest speakers was uh Brandon Steiner uh he actually wrote this book it's pretty funny title you gotta have balls <laughs> but Brandon Steiner he owns Yankee Stadium um and yeah it was it was just really cool getting to like get all these speakers on board for this one huge event where a bunch of people come they listen to all the people that have insight into things and and I kind of want to ask you about like the other side of that whole equation like how was it being a speaker um in front of like arguably one of the biggest speaking platforms in the entire world and meeting other speakers as well and, and meeting them as well yeah it's so the way I got the TED talk first things first is I was not invited I saw an advertisement for auditions and I applied like everyone else. It was just like an advertise, like online or was it like? Yeah, it was online on Facebook. So TEDx Colorado or TEDx Denver is one of the biggest TED Talks platforms. That was just, I happened to be in the city where that was the case. Um, So I applied and it was, it was amazing because they provided us with a speaker coach who was very, very like clarifying. She actually, if you look behind me, my whole wall is covered in sticky notes. I'll show you. <laughs> but they taught me. Um, oh, that, yeah, that's a lot of sticky notes. That's okay. a lot. All the way. That's a speech over there. And that's kind of what they taught me, how to organize my speeches. So, alhamdulillah, I have the, like, the, the voice skills when I was, like, a little girl. I, you know, was, like, performance. I played in plays and stuff like that. So the performance was there. But they taught us the speech writing. Right. right. And uh, extracted the idea from us. And, um, but it, it was such a beautiful experience. And I think always, always apply if you have something to say. And I was the only Muslim on stage, um, not to mention Muslim woman. And that means something, man. It means, especially when there's like a hijab 3, as well. So, exactly. And they yeah. put me last. I was the last performer of the night. And that's that's a make it or break it. How mm-hmm. it ends is how it went. You know, um, I was so scared. I was so scared, not of being judged, not of like messing up my speech. I was scared that the message of Islam was going to be lost, that people were going to think this is some whining Muslim girl who's like to feel sorry for us. And I, I think it's so important what we say nowadays as Muslims, everything is captured, right? Um, so when I went on stage, there's the dua that Musa alayhi salam um, says before he goes to speak to Fir'aun. And Musa is, has a speech impediment. Um, he, he was about to face the most powerful oppressor of all time. And said, Rabbi shrahli sadri wa yisirli amri wa And so I said this and I thought, if Musa salam can speak to the Pharaoh, then I can speak to 3,000 white people. It'll be okay. <laughs> It'll be okay. We noticed that. Yeah. yeah. We noticed yeah. that. We, 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 all, we were also watching, we were watching that video together. And 
as it passed to the audience, she was like, oh, that's a lot of white, white women. women. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> a lot of white women. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? It's good. They like, they, they have like solidarity on the, on the female basis at least. Right. And like, they, they can understand yeah. that struggle. Yeah. Through you. Allah, man. Allah is the master of our voices. Right. right. It could have gone any way. It could have like, people could have not laughed at the jokes. People could have like, you know, the, the slides could have messed up like in the second TED mm-hmm. talk that happened. But, um, we, it's, it's crazy when you feel like Allah is with you, you know? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So that was the TED talk. That was actually the year that I had like my, like, I didn't know what to do with my life next after the TED talk. That's when I became a writer right afterwards. Cause mm-hmm. yeah, subhanAllah, life just gets crazy. It's yeah. And yeah, that that dua, it's. I try to say it like before every single time I even like remotely have anything public speaking with. I literally say it like in before class presentations because uh, I'm I'm literally like nervous to speak in front of like twenty people, whether it be like hundred people, a thousand. People, it's all the same to me. Um, yeah. And that's why like it's. It, it definitely like once you said it, it, it sort of like embodies you because after that point, it's not what you say anymore it's like Allah is the master of your voice right, right? Yeah. whether it har- touches the hearts of the people it's it's not up to you anymore it's up to yeah. Allah right. Allah um, guide us and make us good and deliver the message of Islam in a positive I mean, powerful light I mean and yeah. with that um, I think we should wrap it up here this is like an amazing podcast mashallah Jazakallah khair Amal for being on um, this is a blast. Like this, this is awesome. amazing. This is, awesome. this is a great episode, in my opinion. He loves poetry, yeah. and you know that as well. So it's like <laughs> yeah. it all yeah. just comes together this for him. Like, this is this is like amazing. Um, and I hope the viewers as well enjoyed today's episode. Um, Amal, if you want to shout out anything that you're working on, yeah. feel free. Um, I am working on a book called Scud Missile Blues. Oh wow! Okay. I. Yeah, I'm letting people know kind of what that process looks like and how it's going. I have a writing workshop on Instagram on Wednesdays. And I'll give writing tips and we'll talk about like editing styles, all kinds of stuff like that. And it's free. Um, right, the one hour. And it's how we community, yeah. Um, also for you two, if you need any, uh, if you want to check out the curriculum, see how it looks, if, you know, just let me know. I'll send it over. Definitely. Yeah, of I'll, course. I'll definitely check it out. <laughs> yeah. Send that over, please. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, her Instagram is at Amal the Poet, right? That's me. Amal the Poet. Awesome. guys. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Nice. Um, Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bum 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 bum